I wonder if we could turn again in the book of Genesis to the 32nd chapter today, the book of Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to read from verse 1 of the passage of Scripture. The book of Genesis chapter 32, and beginning our reading at verse 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the place, uh, the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two bands. And he said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abram and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite thee, me, and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered, for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty kine and ten bulls, twenty she-asses and ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be my, thy, thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent also unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye, Moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them 
and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and the rest of the man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast, hast thy power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel, and the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Amen. We know the Lord will add his Blessing to the reign of his precious word. Let's unite in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our Father, we pray for thy help and blessing upon us now. We pray that thou wouldst draw us nigh to thee, and we pray that thy voice will speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. At the time of our passage, Jacob had now been about 20 years in exile. He'd been 20 years away from Canaan, and now he is going to go back to Canaan with his wives and with his flocks. It says in Genesis 28 and 15, And behold, God said to him, Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So God was bringing Jacob back to the land that he had promised him. God had said, I'm bringing you back into Canaan, I'm bringing you back into this land, and I'm not going to stop until that is completed. And you read in chapter 31, verse 18, how Jacob says that he's going to go to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan. And then in verse 21, it says he passed over the river and set his face to go toward the Mount Gilead. So here is Jacob now in submission to God. He is submitting to the will and plan of God. And you'll notice the determination that he has to follow God. It says he set his face to go towards Mount Gilead. And sometimes we might want to submit to God that we don't do it with determination. And therefore we feel we see this man and he set his face to do this. And we Notice the determination. But despite the determination, I want you to see that in the will of God, things don't just run all smoothly. Because we know that there is a spiritual battle and a spiritual fight that is going on. And there are forces out there to stop us doing the will of God. First of all, we find that Laban, his father-in-law, pursued him with a force. And he wanted to bring Jacob back, and then when that was all sorted out and they'd made the covenant between them, Jacob was journeying on, and another problem comes. 
because he's crossing the Ford Jabbok here, and he uh, hears or he sends uh, the, uh, some to uh, speak to Esau, his brother, to say that Jacob is coming. He's worried about what is going to uh, happen to him. How is Esau going to receive him? And when he sends this delegation to meet with Esau, the word comes back that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. And it seems as if Esau's countenance is dark before him. And we find that Jacob now cries to God. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, he says, um, uh, he says here that he will follow the. He says that uh, of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I'm become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite thee and the mother with the children. And Jacob is afraid here. And there's a real sense of danger. And he's in earnest now about what is going to take place. And he wants uh, to know that God is going to deliver him in the midst of all of these things. But I want you to see here is a man who is seeking to do the will of God there are many obstacles in the road. And I want us to see how God now begins to deal with this man. How God uh, begins to fashion this man. And God is still working. We're all a work in progress. We're all uh, those that God needs to hone and needs to mold into what we need to be. God is always working on us. And we can see that in the life of Jacob. So I want us just to look at Jacob here. He is seeking to do the will of God, but as he journeys, he finds all of these difficulties. Now, I want you to see the way that God deals with his servant. And there are just a number of things in this passage of Scripture that I want you to see about Jacob. First of all, I want you to see the worry that Jacob had. Now, you'll notice here, it speaks of him being afraid. If you look at verses 3 to 5, it says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau's brother unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shalt ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in his sight. Now, you'll notice that he speaks about all his uh, uh, possessions. Now, he's not doing that because he's boasting. What he's doing there is that he's trying to convey to Esau that he's not coming to sponge off Esau. He is not some kind of beggar coming uh, to find what he can uh, get off his brother. No, he has plenty of goods. He's not going to come and take advantage of Esau again. After all, that's how Esau knew him. Esau knew him as a man who took advantage of him. And so he sends this message, I'm coming and prepare for my coming. And then he gets the ominous message. If you look at verse 6, 
And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee and four hundred men with him. Now, this is ominous. That's all that is told him. He doesn't get a message from Esau saying, Well, it's okay. I'm glad to see you, brother. I'm glad that you're coming. Anything like that. No, all he gets is a message that Esau is coming with 400 men. And there's no way that Jacob's going to be able to fight against 400 men. This looks like a hostile action. This looks like conflict is going to take place. And the news really worried Jacob. If you look at verse 7, it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who was with him, the flocks and herds, the camels, into two bands. And you notice how serious was his worry. He is greatly afraid and distressed. And the Hebrew would imply that he was terrified. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says, then was afraid Jacob extremely and distressed. And of course, he has good reason to fear because of his sins in days gone by. And really what's happening here is once again, Jacob's sin is finding him out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. We thought on another occasion about the law of uh, the harvest the law of sin coming back on you. And we looked at that and how many times it is found in the word of God. Sin is always a barrier. Sin is always an obstacle. And though we are maybe engaged in the will of God sometimes, it may be that our sins of the past will be an obstacle to us in what we do. And you can think of many instances where that may be the case. And Esau here, it's no light thing that he's going to face with Jacob here. This is a matter of life and death for Jacob and his family. He felt that Esau was coming with this band to kill them. And the only way that he's going to get through this is if the Lord steps into the situation. If God is going to be his helper and God is going to uh, draw near. And we see here something of the seriousness of his worry. But look at the stupidity of his worry. Jacob shouldn't have been worried. Because if you look at the start of the chapter, there's a little account here that maybe we would just pass over. And you'll read here that God sends angels to meet Jacob at Mahanaim. And you'll notice how that these angels come and they draw near and he calls the place Mahanaim because Mahanaim means two hosts or two armies or two camps. One camp is Jacob's camp and the other camp is the Lord's camp, the Lord's host. So Jacob knows that the Lord's host is with him. And though there are 400 men coming against him, the Lord's host is with him. Now he knew that in his head. Because that's what he said. He, he gave the name of the place Mahanaim because he knew that the Lord's host was there. But it didn't seem to sink down into his heart. He knew it in his head, but it didn't seem to have any practical, experience, or practical effect. And you know, we can know things in our head. We can know that the Lord is there. We can know that the Lord has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
We can know that the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But when we get into the trouble, when we're right down in the depths, we seem to be those that forget that the Lord is there. We forget that God is going to help us and be with us. And that's what it happened to Jacob here. In the midst of all, all the danger, he forgot that God had already shown him that there was a host to meet him in the midst of his danger and in the midst of the trouble that he was facing. So we see the worry that Jacob had. But they don't want you to see the work that Jacob did. Now, the report came from Jacob's messengers here uh, about the encounter that they had with Esau, and it brings fear and distress, as we've seen. But I want you to see now that Jacob is going to do, he's not going to sit there and uh, wait for Esau to come. He's not going to just uh, rule over and say, well, uh, the, this is what uh, is going to happen. I want you to see that he begins to do something practical. Look at verses 7 to 8. It says, He divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Now, there is a wisdom in that. Now, we said that he should have trusted God. He knew that there was a host that God was there to protect him. But I, I don't think that we are going to... We, I think it would be harsh to judge Jacob for doing what he did here. Because as the father, as the head of the household, he had a responsibility to protect his family. And what he's doing here is he's dividing them up so that if Esau attacks one, then the other can escape. And at least some of the family are going to escape. And there's a certain wisdom in what he does. And if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't made preparation to protect his family, we would say that he was failing in his duty to his family. So there's a certain amount of wisdom in what he does. He should have depended upon God, and he should have looked to God, but he also does something practical. And because we're depending on God doesn't mean that we can't do something practical. But look at what else he does. He does something prayerful. Now, this is a turn up for the books for Jacob. You remember how that when he came to the well and when, uh, when Rachel had come down to water the flocks, remember the contrast that we'd drawn between uh, Abraham's servant in similar situation when he had come to the well to find Rebekah. How that the servant of Abram had prayed and asked God to lead him. And we saw that Jacob didn't pray. And up until now, we haven't heard of Jacob praying. We haven't heard of Jacob praying. But God is teaching him in the midst of the danger here. God is teaching him to rely on him. Now look at his prayer in verses 9 to 11. It says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abram, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies, and of all the truth which thou showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, 
from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. So here's a man who's learned to pray unto God. And Jacob's faith is in Jehovah God. That's the source of his strength. That's the one to whom he goes here. And Jacob isn't disappointed. We'll see this in a wee minute. But we know that God is our refuge and strength, a very present time, uh, help in time of trouble. And the truth uh, should aspire us to seek the Lord in our days of need. It, it uh, says in the psalm, the same psalm, Psalm 46, verse 11, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. And what a wonderful thing to know that when we're serving God, that the Lord of hosts is with us. And the one who is the captain of the host here uh, comes to be with Jacob and to be his help, a new, better person. But notice how Jacob pleads in his prayer. Look at verses 9 to 11 again. The Lord which saidst unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Then uh, go on down it says, Thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea. What is he doing? He's pleading the promises. Thou saidst. It's always, we're always standing on firm ground when we can go with the word of God and the promises of God and we can say to God, Thou saidst. Thou saidst that thou will do this thing or that thing. God has said that he's interested in saving precious souls. His purpose is that we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it is God's will that the gospel spread throughout the world. And we can say, thou saidst. We can come pleading uh, to God. And we need to plead the promises as we come to God. That's powerful. And we need to know the scriptures in order to bring the promises to God. But here's a man who has learned to pray, to bring his need to the Lord. What a change that is for Jacob. He does something practical, and then he does something prayerful, but then he does something prudent. Look at verses 13 to 15. It says, And he lodged there that same night, and he took of that which came to his hand, a present to Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats, and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes, and twenty rams, thirty milk cattle, camels, and their colts, forty kine, and ten bulls, twenty she-asses, and ten foals. And he sent his servants in droves to meet Esau. Look at verse 18. They were to say then, Thou shalt say, They be thy servants, Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. Now, you'll notice the size of the gift here. You'll notice that Jacob would have had to sacrifice in order to bring about his desire for peace and safety in his uh, family. And not only did his safety and the will of God being performed depended upon God's uh, help and God's security and God's blessing, but it also depended upon his sacrifice in a certain degree. He needed a sacrifice. And how often it is that when we go to prayer and when we pray for something, 
It'll involve sacrifice. If we're praying for precious souls, it may mean that we need to go out and reach them. If we're praying that God build up his church, it may mean that we need to sacrifice financially in order to give to the work of God. If we're praying that God might uh, raise up or, or bless the children's work, then it may mean that we need to sacrifice our time a little in giving that time to the children's work or to the uh, youth fellowship or to the Sunday school, the Bible, whatever it is. We often are required to give of our time or our talents or our money or whatever it is. We uh, put the, uh, the stamp of our sincerity in our prayers by the giving of our talents or our time or whatever it is in order to see that fulfilled. And you can see that with Jacob here. He gives of the flocks and the herds that he had got, and there's a sacrifice that is involved. But not only do I want you to see the worry that Jacob had and the work that he did, but look at the wrestling Jacob experienced. Now we have the famous scene here of the breaking of Jacob when he wrestles, when God wrestles with him. And he's going over the four Jabbok here. And um, the um, archaeologists uh, think that they have found the place where all of this took place. Peniel, later on there was a settlement there just at the four Jabbok. And uh, you can see it on the internet, the remains of the place there. But anyway, look at verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now look at the prelude to the wrestling. Jacob is left alone. Jacob is left alone. How often it is that God works with us when we're left alone. And how many times you will find that God comes to his people when they're alone. You think of Moses. He was alone in the desert when he saw the uh, bush that did not burn that was on fire but wasn't burning and God met him when he was alone and more or less uh, I know that there were people with him but God drew Saul of Tarsus aside and really took him to be alone when he met him on the road to Damascus and you think of the many times you think of Gideon how he was on the threshing floor and God met him when he was alone and we can multiply examples of that. God meets his people when they're alone. And sometimes we need to get alone. Sometimes we need to take the steps to be alone. And that's what happened. Jacob here, it says in verses 22 and 23, And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and eleven sons and passed over the brook Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent them over that he had, and then it says, and Jacob was left alone. He had to take the steps to be alone. And sometimes God will bring us to that place where we are alone. He didn't know it was going to happen, but here is the precursor to the divine encounter when he got alone. A.W. Tozer said, most of the world's great souls have been lonely. Now, that's not to diminish the importance of community or family or whatever it is. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But God doesn't bless lone rangers. He's saying here 
or uh, God is not into lone rangers in that sense. But God does at times bring us to the place where we are alone. And that's where God meets us. Not only do I want you to see the prelude to the wrestling, but look at the prosecution of the wrestling. Look at 24 and 25. And it says, And Jacob was left alone, and wrestled him a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So now Jacob here is on the bank, banks of the Jabbok, and he's absorbed with the problem of Esau, and he never hears the footfall of the stranger that comes, and the stranger does not identify himself. But now they begin to wrestle and to struggle with one another. I wasn't one of Esau's 400 strong men. Was it a stranger who had come? Jacob didn't know who it was. And so he begins to wrestle. And no words are passing between the two strangers. They're in each other's grip hour after hour after hour through the night. But something strange takes place with Jacob. He cannot prevail. And he cannot uh, find... He, he, Jacob probably is about... 100, nearly 100 years of age by this, but he's still strong. He is still able, and he is able to wrestle with the stranger, and he expects to win. But he knows he can't win. He knows that the stranger is too strong. But as the fight goes on, Jacob begins to realize that there's something gelling in his heart, that this is no ordinary stranger, and he begins to feel down in the depths of his heart, as if they, there is something touching the innermost part of his being, and he recognizes that the wrestling that is going on is not just physical wrestling, but there's a wrestling going on in his heart, a wrestling with God that's going on in his heart. And Jacob discovers that the real challenge here isn't Esau, it's God and his own heart. That's what is taking place. Look at verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And you'll notice at the end of this fight that the uh, thigh of Jacob is uh, shrunken. Jacob was a man of fine physical stature, but God puts the limp on him. Why? in order to teach him about pride. Jacob thought, and Jacob knew he was a fine physical specimen, even though he was nearly a hundred years of age. But now God touches the hollow of his thigh because God is dealing with his pride. And you know how often it is that going in the will and purpose of God is uh, in order to deal with our pride, our pride mars the way for us in the midst of all that we do. So we notice the prosecution of the wrestling. But look at Jacob's persistence in the wrestling. Jacob encounters this stranger, and he knows that there is something in his heart that is craving and longing for the, for the blessing of the stranger, and the stranger says, let me go, 
for the day breaketh. And Jacob replies, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Jacob's beginning to realize there's something that's not ordinary about this stranger. Jacob say, or the, the stranger says, let me go, the day breaketh. Jacob says, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So here's Jacob, the man who had been a man of deceit and a man of subterfuge, and he'd gotten the blessing before and underhand methods. Remember how he'd got the blessing that um, Isaac wanted Esau to have? And now they're coming, and Jacob wants a real blessing. He doesn't want Esau's blessing. He doesn't want Isaac's blessing. He wants God's blessing. Isn't that what we want in our, uh, our lives? We want the blessing of God. What is the blessing of God? It's where God... Uh, molds our hearts and brings us into conformity to himself and brings down the uh, blessing and the help of God upon us. That's the blessing that we want. And you'll notice how uh, Hosea speaks about Jacob clinging. It says in Hosea 12 and 4, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. And there, the Holy Ghost gives us a little detail. He wept. There's passion about Jacob here. He, in the midst of his wrestling, has had his passions stirred within him. He wants the blessing of God. Do we want the blessing of God today? Do we want God to step in and to bless us abundantly? Look at the prevailing and the blessing. Look at verse 29. And he blessed him there. He got the blessing that he wanted as he wrestled. Look at the product of the blessing. He asks for the name of Jacob. What is thy name? Jacob, as we said, has a connotation of supplanter, of a man who is a deceiver. What is thy name? Jacob said, my name is Jacob. I own it up. I know what I am. I know that I have deceived and acted duplicitly in the past. And he owns it up. And he's willing to say no. He's willing to uh, give uh, the uh, truth about himself. And Jacob says, well, that's me. That's me. I'm just old Jacob. And you look at what the Lord says. Thy name shall be no more Jacob, but Israel. A prince of God, ruler with the mighty. That's what it is. The name Jacob, just it's composed of two uh, Hebrew names, Ishra or Yishra, which means ruler or warrior or prince, and El, which is an abbreviation for God. So he's a ruler with God or he's ruled by God. Either of those things can be true. And I think both things were true. He was a prince with God. He was ruled by God. And God made him a ruler in his day. So Jacob is changed and he becomes God's Israel. Uh, for a prince, he says, for as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And God gave Jacob the blessing because of his earnest praying. And as he clung to God, as he wrestled all that night, and you can see the way to blessing. It is prayer. It is persistence. 
It is not giving up. It is keeping on, crying to God. And if we want the blessing, and I'm sure we do, I hope that we do. And you know, we can come at times and we can say and declare, I want the blessing of God. But are we willing to spend the time and are we willing to give the effort? And are we willing to wrestle with God as Jacob did? Because that's the lesson that we find here. Oh, there were obstacles in his way. There were difficulties along the way of the will of God. But God was still honing and molding his servant and teaching him to pray and to wrestle and to cry to God. And it's still the same today. Things haven't changed. There's no new uh, formula that we can have. There are many people who write how to get blessing in your church or how uh, to run your church and all the rest. But there's no new thing. It's all here in the Bible. It's here for us to learn from. And the problem is that oftentimes we are slow learners. We don't learn fast enough. But if we want the blessing of God, we're going to get it the same way as Jacob did. By getting down on our knees and and being humble before God and spending time crying unto God. That's the method. Still the same method today. And surely, as God's people, if we want the blessing, surely we need to give ourselves to prayer and a wrestling with God for that blessing. Will you do that? Will each of us do that? You and me, will we do that? Oh, let's, with new dedication, say, I'm going to seek the blessing of God in this day. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. I wonder if we could turn to the hymn 460, please, as our closing hymn today. The hymn for ever to the Savior cling, trust in him and none beside. Never let an earthly thing hide from thee the crucified. And Jacob clung to God. And that's what we need to do in this day. The hymn 460, and we'll stand as we sing.
again without the music. And I will just ask them to give us the note. But let's just sing that first verse prayerfully without the music. gracious Father in heaven, we pray that we might cling to thee with all our hearts. Bless our souls and be with us now. Bless those that must part from us and be with us as we gather around thy table now. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen.